Hello, Chemistry and Everyday Life listeners. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Um, I want to give a little word in advance before this episode starts, which will be the last episode for now of this little podcast that I was running for the last year, year and a half. Um, first and foremost, I really enjoyed recording these episodes, but it's come now to a point where the time I, I, I want to spend with my family and the time I need to fulfill my work with which I earn my money uh, to a satisfactory degree has become so much that I do not quite have the time to write episodes that I am happy with for, for chemistry in, in everyday life. And as a consequence, rather than carrying on making episodes that I'm not 100% convinced of, I, I rather stop here with all the episodes that I've made and I can be proud of. And yeah, so as a consequence, that is it for me for now. I'll see what else I can do that doesn't require a two-week time frame to bring out an episode each time uh, and still stay within the same subject. But as it stands for now, I want to thank you all for tuning in, for downloading the episodes. Some of you guys interacted with me. I, I enjoyed that immensely. And I, I loved hearing that people are listening to these podcasts. So I'm glad it was of value to some people. And I will leave those episodes up in case someone else comes across this little podcast. And with that, I say, yeah, I say thank you very much for for coming along uh, along this journey. And I will leave you now with, with this last episode, which... It was not on purpose, but ironically, it is actually about poisoning. It's about cyanide poisoning. So here comes the last episode. Thanks again, everyone. It takes a little bit more than 100 milligrams of cyanide to kill a 75-kilogram human being. A little more than 100 milligrams, and the unfortunate victim will show the telltale signs of Bluish tones of oxygen deprivation mottle the skin, as the Poisoner's Handbook by Deborah Bloom puts it. A macabre, yet thoroughly enjoyable historical account of the different kinds of poisons that ran rampant in the USA of the early 1900s. The chapter on cyanide poisoning itself caught my attention, because already as far back as the 1920s, the mode of action of this devious and highly effective poison was known, and from my perspective, it is frightening to see how good cyanides are at taking out one of the vital functions of the human body. So let's have a look at cyanide poisoning from the chemist's point of view. My name is Johannes Vogel, and you're listening to the last episode of Chemistry in Everyday Life my podcast where I explain the chemistry that happens all around us in layman's terms. Chemistry is the study of the attributes and changes that substances can undergo, no matter if they're gases, liquids or solids. And believe me when I tell you that this happens everywhere around us at this very moment. Cyanide poisoning is a story as old as the use of cyanide-containing compounds used by man. 
We know it from Hollywood films, wrongly showing actually that it is a highly effective, fast-acting murder weapon, most often in the solid form of potassium cyanide. But really, it has quite a few other uses that can expose a person to this very dangerous group of substances. Maybe in pest control on, for example, ships where you fumigate the area with the gas hydrogen cyanide or the use in mining to separate gold and silver from the rest of the ore. Unsurprisingly, also the organic chemical industry is producing cyanides in large quantities, as these compounds are useful intermediates or reagents in syntheses. And, and finally, if you are still into analog photography, cyanides are used there too. All in all, there are quite a few uses of different cyanide-containing compounds, which makes it all the more important to understand what happens in the human body when exposed to a large enough dose. I say in large enough dose because the body can withstand a certain amount as is showcased every single time a smoker lights up a cigarette because there is a, a low quantity of cyanide in there too. The problem with small reactive chemical compounds such as cyanides is that they can react with a lot of things. But by now it is well known what happens. When exposed, the first thing a person will feel includes headaches, dizziness, fast heart rate, shortness of breath and vomiting. Following that, there can be seizures, a slower heart rate, low blood pressure, the loss of consciousness and finally cardiac arrest. You see, what happens is that, effectively, cyanide causes a person to suffocate, although they're breathing. We talked about respiration in a previous episode, and it is frightening how cyanide blocks respiration from effectively happening. You see, inside our cells, we have these little energy factories called mitochondria, structures that are completely focused on creating energy for us, most commonly in the form of a molecule called ATP. And to produce it effectively, they need oxygen, which is transported in via the blood. A key component in this entire process, called oxidative phosphorylation, by the way, is an enzyme by the name of cytochrome C oxidase. As always with these situations, I'm not that big on names, so neither should you, really. As Shakespeare said in Romeo and Juliet, what's in a name? Anyways. This enzyme has a structure very similar to what red blood cells have, namely an iron ion at the center of a huge ring called a heme structure. You know, similar to the thing in red blood cells that allows it to carry oxygen around. The thing that is actually the reason why red blood cells are red, the hemoglobin. If you're following this podcast, you will have heard of it. Anyways, so this enzyme, cytochrome C oxidase, which is crucial in allowing our power plants in the cells, the mitochondria, to produce energy for us, have an iron ion in the center of a heme ring, which allows it to bind oxygen to the ion. Actually, it doesn't have one iron ion, but two, and some copper as well. And it needs all of that for quite a complex cascade of steps to create the ATP as an energy source but there's one weakness to this scheme. If you have something that binds very strongly and irreversibly to the iron in 
cytochrome C oxidase, then you knock out the enzyme and you knock out the energy product. And you guessed it, small molecules like cyanide or carbon monoxide do this very effectively. This is what I meant when I said that cyanide lets the body suffocate without stopping the airflow. The body has no means of using the oxygen coming in from the lungs. Luckily, for everyone involved, if the poisoning has been recognized promptly, there are still things that can be done to counteract it. According to Healthline.com, when swallowed, something called activated charcoal can absorb the cyanide from the stomach. Also, giving 100% oxygen gas will help counteract the effects of the poisoning. Additionally, there's an antidote kit made of three compounds that dilate the blood vessels and change the iron to a different state, which allows it to remove the cyanide from the enzyme structure. And last but certainly not least, a modified version of vitamin B12 produced by bacteria, and that thing is called hydroxocobalamin, is used to remove cyanide leading to a harmless cyanocobalamin form of vitamin B12. And there you have it, folks. Very short and very sweet. This is how cyanide poison works. And now we have learned to counteract it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. You can give comments on Twitter or on my website. Uh, the details of all my contacts are in the show notes, as before. And with this, I say thank you very much, everyone. Take care, folks. You've been listening to the very last episode of Chemistry in Everyday Life, a podcast about chemistry that happens all around us explained in layman's terms. Thanks a lot for being along for the ride. I really appreciate it. And for the last time, I say thank you very much for listening. Take care, everyone.